All right. Hey, I don't know if you know, but we, uh, th- there was a story that uh, just broke in the news about some data uh, from NASA that was uh, recently published. And this data uh, showed that our galaxy, the Milky Way, that, that there are 8.8 billion planets the size of Earth in our Milky Way, uh, orbiting stars that are, are much like our sun. These planets are, are what scientists call, call they, they're in Goldilocks zones. Uh, these are zones that are not too cold or too hot uh, that they would actually uh, be able to inhabit uh, life. Scientists say that the next step for us is to invent a telescope that is powerful enough to take clo- a t- closer look at these planets uh, to see if there's life on them or not. Now, if we discovered that there was life on these planets, uh, uh, we, it would be in our nature to want to communicate with these, uh, with these life forms. Uh, do you remember? It's kind of like E.T. Do you remember E.T., uh, uh, Elliot, and, and how Elliot came in encounter with this extraterrestrial, and, and they, they did everything they could to communicate with each other. I was trying to think of what that yellow... Uh, uh, or that red with yellow button pad was. Do you remember what that was? Speak and spell. Yes. Oh, man. I, I Googled that, and I, even Google doesn't know everything. Ha-ha. <laughs> right. That's awesome. Yes. But, but that's how uh, E.T. communicated with Elliot, right? And, and it's, it, the reason why we want to communicate and connect with other creatures is because the scriptures tell us that we are designed in the image and likeness of God whose very nature is to communicate, to express, to reveal, and to connect with creation. With creation. Today we begin a new series in the Gospel of John called Words of Life. We just came out of John's epistle to the church where we got to know John quite a bit. And that was his letter to the church who was, who was kind of a second and third generation church. They were kind of, they, they didn't have firsthand experiences with Jesus. And so he writes this letter trying to firm up their faith, reminding them of the good news of God because he was a, a person who had a First count with Jesus. And so he wanted to make sure that people were following the right God. And so here we move to uh, 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 a Jesus that, that, that John was defending to a Jesus that, God, that John was experiencing. The four Gospels in the New Testament present Jesus in distinctive, with a distinctive emphasis. Matthew's Gospel emphasizes Jesus' kingship as he writes primarily to the Jews. Mark's gospel emphasizes his servanthood, while Luke's gospel emphasizes Jesus' humanity, like he's fully God, but he's fully human. Here in John's gospel, John emphasizes Jesus' deity, his godhood, if you will, as the great creator God of the universe. John's massive vision of Christ has been used countless times to bring people to faith in Jesus. That, that God has revealed himself through the gospel of John so that people could really know who Jesus is and find the only way t- to redemption. God's gospel is this. I love the scene in, in uh, C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia where, where Lucy gazes into the large eyes and the wise face of Aslan, and he says this. He says, Welcome, child. Aslan, Lucy says, You're bigger That is because you're older, little one, he answered. Not because you are, she said. I'm not, but every year you grow, 
you will find me bigger. I just love that quote, that, that, he's, that, that obviously Aslan is this picture of Jesus, right? Is, this, is, is Jesus, and, and, and as Lucy grows up, uh, she finds Aslan to be bigger in her image, in, her, in the way she sees him. Our hope in, in, in this book, as we go through this series, is that you will find Christ to be bigger, to be bigger. As you grow in your faith, as you grow in your maturity, as you grow through this, the wonders of this book, that you will see Christ as bigger, bigger, bigger. As John begins in his introductory, the force of, of what he says is so staggering that the words almost bend underneath the weight that they're made to bear. And so opening up in these three verses, uh, there's just an amazing expression of God's greatness. And so with your Bibles open to John chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 1. We'll have the scriptures on the screens as well. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made Without him, nothing was made that has been made. This is by far the most compact but impactful theological statement in all of Scripture. We, we, if we can just simply wrap our minds around what John is saying in these small sentences. If you're following along in your sermon notes, we've provided you an insert in your newly designed bulletin. Uh, and, and the first thing I want you to write down is this. Jesus always, that's your word, Jesus always existed from, from all eternity as God in perfect fellowship with the Father, with God the Father, and the Holy Spirit, and He is the creator of the universe. This is what is so impactful about what John is saying here, that Jesus existed with the Trinity, and He has always existed, and He is the one that spoke all things into existence, that He is the creator of all things. Do you realize that, that well over 100,000 stars are in our Milky Way? I, th- I find that fascinating, and there are at least 100 million galaxies that we know of. In, in, in his time, Einstein believed that, that we have scanned with our largest telescopes only one billionth of the theoretical space it, it, that, is, that could be out there. This means that we are probably something like 10 octillion stars in our universe. You know how many that is? <laughs> 10 octillion? I wrote it down here like this. So 1,000 thousands is a million. 1,000 millions is a billion, 1,000 billions is a trillion, 1,000 trillions is a quadrillion, 1,000 quadrillions is a quintillion, 1,000 quintillions is a sextillion, 1,000 sextillions is a septillion, and 1,000 septillion is an octillion. So 10 octillions is, is 10 with 23, right? 27 zeros behind it. Stars. Can you imagine that? No, it's, 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 it's almost unimaginable, but wrap your mind around this. The cool thing is, according to John, according to the gospel, is that Jesus is the one who created all that. That Jesus, the, the God that we serve, the God that we claim as our Lord and our Savior, he is the one who spoke all of that into existence. And that is amazing. That he spoke it into existence. Not only, and not only is our creator, like the, not only is Jesus the creator of the microcosm of the universe, like this vastness of, of all, of everything, but he's also the creator of the microcosm of the inner universe down to the smallest atom, down to the smallest cell that, that helps your body function and grow. 
It's amazing. The Bible says that Jesus holds the inner and the outer universe together with his hands. Look, look at what it says in Colossians chapter 1. It says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him, Jesus, all things hold together. Write this down in your next sermon notes. Number two is this. This is such, so important that we understand that God has all this within his hands. Because Jesus is our creator, we can trust him, there's your word, with everything because he knows just what his creation, his people, need. It was said of Charles Steinmetz, uh, he was the mechanical genius and friend of Henry Ford, uh, he said that it was said that he could build a motor in his mind and fix it if it needed to be repaired. And so when he actually built this motor for the assembly plant, uh, he put it in there and it ran with precision. He thought it up in his mind, he built it, and it ran with precision. One time the, the motor broke down and, and none of Ford's men could fix the motor. And so they call in Steinmetz. Henry Ford calls in Steinmetz. He goes in there. Steinmetz gets in there for 10 minutes, and he starts tinkering around with the motor. Flips the switch back on, and it's running perfectly again. Days later, uh, Steinmetz sends an invoice to Henry Ford this, uh, for $10,000. Henry Ford sends back a reply and says, you tinkered with this motor for 10 minutes. Don't you think $10,000 is a little bit excessive? So Steinmetz replies, and he says, tinkering, $10. Knowing where to tinker, $9,990, right? <laughs> the point is this, like, only Christ knows where the tinkering should be done when he is creator. I, I, I jokingly say that. If I created a table that was lopsided with three legs, you'd say you've created a wrong table. You know, that's not good. I'm like, no, I'm creator. I created it that way. I get to say what goes here. Jesus knows because he has created you. He knows every screw to turn, which belt to loosen, and which is the best octane for you to live on. He just knows this because he created you. He is your creator. He is my creator. He's the creator of the universe. He is the creator of you. And get this, in Genesis, we are called the crown of his creation. Now you think of 10 octillion stars in the universe. And then the crown of his creation, the, the best thing that he created was you. Isn't that beautiful? You are, when he created male and female, he created everything. He said it was good. This is good. This is good. The expanse is in the sky, the water, the this, the trees, the animals, all good. But when he created male and female, he said, it is very good. It is very good because this is my purposes for all of this. The purposes. And, 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 and the psalmist would say, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we are to, to take that and lead us into a relationship of worship with God. The question is, are you trusting him as creator? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you finding your rest in Jesus? Have you entrusted your life to Jesus? Considering the greatness of Christ, nothing else makes sense. You can define God. You can define Jesus in any way you want. But if you're defining him outside of Scripture, you're, you're, you're bringing up your own definitions. And it's a, and it's a missing point to, him, to, to his definition of who he is. 
Just like me creating that three-legged table that's slanted. You didn't know, but I created it to rest my feet on it, not to drink on it. I get to call the shots because I created it. God is the creator. He gets to call the shots in our lives. He gets to tinker in your lives and tell you what's happening. Nothing else will make sense if we lose the sight of Jesus being, in, uh, being our creator of all things. He knows what's best for you. Our vision to go deeper uh, in 2020 and closer and wider, it's essential. If you want to go deeper in your faith, that there's something you have to know, write this down, number three, in your notes. The depth of your spiritual growth is completely, that's your word, connected to the size of our vision of Christ. Once we get away from the one-dimensional and overly narrow picture of Christ, I think things will start to change in our lives. Once we see the fullness of the glory of Christ, the glory that's revealed through the Son, John would say, I think our spiritual lives will grow deeper when we dig deeper and we understand who God is and have a fuller vision of who He is. I believe that most of us need a bigger vision of Christ. I know I do. I know I do. I, 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 just, I don't really worship God as that, as, as the God who created 10 octillion stars and a limitless of creation in, in, in the universe as the one who loves and, and, and has my best interest in mind. I don't know that I'm coming at Christ like that all the time. And here John is saying, hey, I want you to understand the fullness of who Christ is. I want you to understand the greatness of who He is. Like Jesus Christ, as, as John describes here, an eternal God, uh, uh, the greatness of our Creator, the vastness of who He is, loves you. The Bible says, through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made. And in Him, all things hold together. The entire universe is held together by Jesus. That is a big truth that we need to start wrapping our minds and our hearts around. If we want to grow closer to one another as we strengthen our relationships in the church, you have something amazing that is binding you guys, that, that you have in common. As as much stuff that we have that is not in common, you have the creator of the universe in common as your Savior and Lord. And if we want to grow, reach wider this year to extend the love uh, and truth about Christ with our neighbors, we need to recapture the greatness of who Jesus is. Would you agree? We just really need to really recapture the greatness of who Jesus is. John now moves from the greatness of Jesus to, to the greatness of his love. Look at verse 4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is a beautiful image of Jesus. In World War II, when they had the blackouts in London, uh, it was said that a, on a clear night, a match can be seen from the air from 20 miles away. Uh, one single match. In the greatest act of love, our Lord is a light shining in the darkness that results in what we see in verse 9. Listen to what it says. The true light that gives light to every man, say every man, was coming into the world. The Apostle Paul in the first uh, chapter of Romans, we did Romans last year or, or two years ago, all the way brought us into last year. Uh, uh, Paul tells us that the light was, is seen by everyone. John reiterates that, like everyone, like the Jesus has come to shine his light on everyone. 
But Paul gives us a little bit more insight in his, in his epistle, and he says that some hold it down and suppress it with their own sin, with their own way of thinking, by saying Jesus isn't all that, right? And then verse 20, he says, God has revealed himself through creation. The light has come into the world, but people, and so people are without excuse. They're without excuse. It's their sin that's suppressing this. It's their sin that stops them from seeing the greatness of God and his love for us. Some might read uh, Romans 1 and thinking that God sheds his light on people and reveals himself to all people so that he can hold them accountable. Well, yeah, maybe. But the main reason why, why Jesus came, why God sent Jesus, why God sent the light into the world is because he loved you and I. He loves the world. And this was the main reason. This is the primary reason. Jesus said this, and this is gonna, you're going to hear this one, and I hope that, you know, because scriptures become cliche, but what we need to do as Christians is we need to not make them cliche. We need to make them powerful again, right? We need, to, we need to put the power back into the scriptures. The reason why they're popular and they become cliche is because we overuse them and misuse them. But this thing right here, we need to understand, for God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son. This is God's motive. God doesn't bring his light and reveal himself into creation just to hold you accountable at the end of your life, though that will happen. His primary reason for coming and, and shedding his light to the world and shining his light to the world is because he loves you. He loves your neighbor. He loves the people in your life. And this is God's motive for us. The light that Jesus shined in the world is the light of love, grace, Mercy, compassion. The word shine here in, in verse 5 literally means shines on or continues to shine. It's this image of the Lord just shining upon every person in every generation, in every crack and crevice of their heart, of their darkened heart, the hearts that are darkened by sin. And Jesus wants to shine in on there, not to condemn you, but to tell you how much I love you. And I want to give you a new heart. And a new spirit I want to put within you so that you can walk in my statues, so that you can be in the light as I am in the light. That's what we just came out of, right? The series. And so it starts here. It starts with not, not suppressing the truth about Jesus. Man, we need to free ourselves and know Jesus with all of our heart and know why he has come. Write this down in your notes, number four. If you have come to Christ in faith, you have come not only because of the greatness of creation, but because of the greatness of his love for you. Some of you need to hear that today. That we get so caught up in our own little kingdoms, in our own little universes, that we forget about that, that there is a God in heaven, that the creator of the universe who actually does love you. And then we might even do things in our own life that lead us to those conclusions. Like, man, I made a mess of this, I did that, I did this, I did that, I did this. You know what? God took all of that into account and still sent his son Jesus for you as a demonstration of his love for you. That God loves you so much that he demonstrated his love for you by sending Christ Jesus to die for you. Isn't that beautiful? This is super good news for, for believers. The light that Christ has shown to our world results in so many people coming to faith and following it, that light. But there are many who have seen the same truth and heard the same truth and choose to reject him. It's interesting that the sun shines on everybody, doesn't it? You can choose to let it shine on you or go hide, hide yourself in a cave, but it's never going to stop the sun from shining, isn't it? So it is with Christ. 
His light will continue to shine, but not all people are going to respond as they ought. Look at verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Can you imagine? Like, I, heard, I read this story when I was preparing for this about a, 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 a two parents, farming parents, were, were, they loved their, their oldest son and they wanted to send their son to college, so they scrimped and they saved and they sold things off and they finally had enough money to send him off to college and they sent him off to college. And, and uh, time had went by, a couple years had went by and they were missing their son. They want to go see their son, so they did it again. They scrimped and they saved and they sold some things off and they traveled to go see their son. They show up in all of their farmness, their farm gear, their dirty clothes, and they see their son from a distance. And the father goes running and goes, Son, Mom and Dad, we're here. We've come to see you. And he has no response. His son is embarrassed by the look of his parents. And he looks at his friends that were surrounding him and goes, I don't know who that is. That, that, that guy must be crazy. Because he was embarrassed. at He wouldn't receive his mother and father could you, but, so if you think of that illustration for a minute and consider what, G, what, what, what John is saying here in verse 11, he came to, to which was his own, but his own re, did not receive him. Huh. Do you just see the absurdness and how horrible that, that is? As horrible as it is for those parents and how humiliating, how sad that must have been for the parents. Think about this about God. Like, Jesus spoke you into creation. He spoke His people into creation. But now His people are looking upon Him and saying, no, I'm not receiving that. There's just, no, I, I can't receive that. That Jesus was rejected by those who who he spoke into existence with his word. And for thousands of years, he'd been making a way for them. And when he comes, he's not received by them. His own people rejects him. It's incredible. It's horrible. It's even more incredible that after 2,000 years of the Spirit's witness in history, in the lives of men and women, of godly men and women, there's still people today that reject him. There's still people today that reject Him. But the good news is that we're not without hope. Because the most amazing thing about Christ's love is it's unstoppable. Verse 5 says, and and you don't have this up here, but verse 5 says, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Boy, that's good news. That is good news because Christ's love is unstoppable. Just because people reject Him then and, they, and how some people might reject Him now, the fact is, is that God's love is completely unstoppable. Christ's mission is completely unstoppable. Write this down, number five, in your notes. We need to see the greatness of Christ's love as a bottomless sea of love that overflows to us and through us to others. This is the amazing things about Christ's love. He, he, when, when he, just after Pentecost, he had spent 40 days with people, revealing himself to over 500 people after the resurrection, after he rose from the dead, proving that he is who he says he is. Uh, he revealed himself to over 500 people, lived for 40 days, and then he was going to ascend to heaven. Before he did that, he said, I will send you the Holy Spirit, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he says. 
and that you will be my witnesses. You are going to be the light in the darkness, if you will. You are going to be my people. You are going to be the light that I'm going to shine before men. You are going to love your neighbor. You are going to give this amazing love to people. It's going to flow to you and through you. And the good news is that, that the truth of the matter is that, and listen, you might be thinking of your one right now, and this is what this is really directed to, the people around you who, who are far from Christ, but they're close to you. And, and maybe you've even had the courage to, to preach the gospel. You've had the courage to tell them about Jesus. You've had the courage to invite them to church. <clears throat> Here's the deal. I want everybody to understand this. Whether you're, if you're a believer here, there's been a point in your life where you rejected Christ too. We all have. We all have. And then, but God was graceful, and, and, and his irresistible love penetrated your heart. We have to trust in a God whose love and grace is unstoppable, and he is not going to lose anybody. He has chosen his people, and he is not going to lose anybody, just like he didn't lose you. So we need to be people of faith, not people of doubt, when we're trying to love on the people around us. And call them to keep on, just keep on, just keep being that person. I want you to be that person in people's life that you love like Christ loved you and that you keep on inviting them. You keep on inviting them because you want them to know the love and the greatness of God's love through Jesus, through the creator of the world. Say amen, please. Amen. Amen. So if you see, have a seat next to you, there should be, it should be full next week. That's all I'm saying. Because we're going to be people of faith. Christ's love and his mission uh, is forever. Listen to what um, Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says, All those that the Father has, has given me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given to me, but raise them up at the last day. We are in the last days. For, for my Father, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. Do you hear the confidence in Jesus' words? This isn't up to you. This is up to Him. He uses you to tell them about Him who is faithful to them. Does that make sense? And He will always be faithful. He will never lose a cert- a one that God has given to Jesus. Never. And those who believe in Jesus will have eternal life. Christ's love and his mission to save those who the Father has given to him is unstoppable. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. This is so good. Who were born not of the blood, nor of the flesh, nor of the will of man. It's not up to you, it's up to God. But of God, right? This is God's work. He's just asking us to be faithful in it, to proclaim the the sovereign work of God, the all-powerful work of God to save people, the same salvation that you have come if you are a believer here today. This statement is incredible. It just is. It's hard for me to wrap my my head around it and my heart around it, that the God of all creation, the God of all things, the one who holds everything together should enable us, those who have rejected him, to be his children and to be on mission to bring more children into the kingdom of God. It's incredible to think about it. Uh, and listen, if, if, if you don't keep this, this teaching close to your heart, you're just going to miss just the vastness of the, the privilege of what he's calling you to.
Again, when your God is small and His mission is small in your eyes, then you're not good. But when God is God of the ten octillion stars in the sky and the Creator of you, the crown of His creation, whom He has sent His Son as, a, as the greatest act of love to redeem you from you, to adopt you into His kingdom, that you can have an inheritance that is yours for eternity in heaven, and then He invites you to, to hope in that and be on mission for Him. I'm telling you, it, it's on. I'm a little excited about the mission of Jesus, don't you think? You should be too. The God of the universe is your God. And He has called you to be children of God. And this means God is your Father. Tim has started something that I think should just continue to stay. God is your Daddy. In the perfect sense, God is your Father. That word, I, I, I look at it nowadays, and, I, and especially being kind of an empty nester, my kid, my, the youngest is going to be 23, and, and I remember when the kids were young, they used to call me Daddy. Dad, when they were hurting, they'd come to me, and I'd hold them in my arms. When they wanted something, they'd use that word, Dad. Dad, I need this. They're still 22, 23, and 28, and they're still saying, Dad, I need, but <laughs> it seems like that's all they say right now, but, but it's an honor and privilege to be called Dad. It just is. I'm honored to, to have that. And then the, as they grow older, the less they need me. I'm feeling that disconnect. And the same thing is this. With God as your Father, you are blessed. And, and number six in your notes, write this down. This is this. Calling God your Father is a precious privilege. And before Christ came, it just wasn't possible. Christ is the key to becoming, that, that God becomes your Father. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, God being called Father in, in, in reference to Israel, uh, he, that happened 14 times in the Old Testament, but only one or two of them, uh, you could argue that it was a reference to Im- intimacy. But in the New Testament, this Father is this enduring thing. It is this intimate thing that God wants you to understand. God was fathering His people like, like in, in a corrective way. Now He's fathering His people in a graceful way. But Paul says this in Galatians 4. He says, Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the Spirit of His Son into your hearts. The Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. Abba means Daddy. That cry needs to be implanted deep, deep into our hearts. Because if if we don't see God as that, if we see God as just standing above us, looking at everything that is wrong, we'll never run to Him for the grace that He just wants to lavish out upon us. We'll never run to Him when we are hurting. We'll never run to Him when we're lonely. We'll never run to Him when we're in need. We'll never grab around Him, put our arms around Him and say, God, I need you. Until you have it deep into your hearts that God is your daddy. It's so important. And if you're lonely, if you're insecure, if you're depressed, if you're anxious, if you're worried, where is your relationship with God? And do you see Him as your Father, as your Daddy? Where is Christ in your life? God is saying through the Apostle John that that Christ is the light of the world. That He has extended Himself and His love for all of eternity to His people. And He's speaking to you, to your conscience, through the nature, through the Word of life through the, through, the, through the revelation of the cross of Jesus Christ, through the revelation of, of, of His resurrection, He is here through His Spirit. 
how are you going to respond? Is God still going to be small and one-dimensional? Or is God going to be the God of the universe to you? Who loved you so much, He took on flesh and dwelt among you. That He gave all of that vastness up, the worship, the, 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 just His throne over all of, this, all of His creation, He gave it up, set aside His deity, and came to, to, on a rescue mission for you, the crown of His creation. He's made it so simple. Verse 12 uh, is framed with two passages to show you how to do it. Yet to all who received Him and to those who believed in His name. All you have to do is believe that Jesus is who He says He is and, they, and, that you, and, and receive Him as your Lord and Savior. And that comes through confession of faith. Those who confess Jesus is the Christ and that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And that is the entrance into your faith. It is belief and receiving Him. The name of Jesus stands for all that it is. Verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as the Son from the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. What He's coming to you is with a peace offering of grace. And He wants to open your eyes to the truth of who He is and what He's come to do and what He's calling you to do to be on mission for Him in this life. Jesus is the creator of the universe who in an act of divine love became one of us. He is the one whom what we have to believe in in order to receive God as our Father. That is the deal. There is no other deal. Once we ask Jesus in our life, then we can cry out, Abba, Father. Daddy, I need you. Daddy, I'm hurting. Daddy, I, I, I have some needs. And He is gracious enough to give it to you. He wants you to run to Him in His grace. Do you really believe that God loves you? Or Zephaniah says this in, in, in Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. Listen to this. I want, now, these are God's words that He inspired men to write to His people. And so, I believe that someone is here today that needs to hear this. He will take great delight in you. You don't even take delight in you, but God takes delight in you. And He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. When God is pleased with His people, He sings over them. And, be, and Jesus has paid the price for you that God now can be pleased with you. And He now delights in you because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. And He's singing over you. He wants to sing those things over you. On one hand, you have the greatness of Christ, which is far beyond comprehension. Ten octillion stars in the universe. And He knows them all by name, and He holds them all together. But He's also the light who desires to let His light shine upon you as an individual so that you can have a relationship with Him and the Father and the Holy Spirit. John starts this letter with the greatness of Christ and the greatness of His love, but also we can't forget the greatness of the Gospel. The Apostle Paul says that I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. The word here that Paul uses for power in the English word would translate dynamite. 
He's, he's, it's as if he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the explosive power of the gospel. The gospel should permeate all of our thinking. Last thing I want you to write down in your notes is this. Next to our pursuit of loving God needs to be the conviction of the power of the gospel to change lives. The gospel has the power to change lives. Oh God, would we let God deepen our vision of Jesus and deepen our vision of the, and believe in the power of the gospel to change our own lives and also believe that the gospel has the power to change the lives of those people around us. It would change our prayer life when we're praying to the God of the universe, wouldn't it? And Because and, we would then understand that God is, has, His creativity is limitless. And that if He can create this, He can save that guy. He can save that girl. He can clean up that one. He can save that one from addiction. He can bring this one from the depths of prison into a life of meaning. God has the power to do a lot of things if you consider Him as creator of the universe. He just does. But if we got that small vision, oh God, just, let's just stop it now. We're, we're, we're no more accusations. Let's just have a bigger vision of Jesus. Let's just believe it that the gospel has the power to change people's lives today. The word became flesh, and the word is life for people. You believe that today? The gospel of John is going to be amazing, and I hope that you stick around for this whole series. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll respond in worship. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that uh, you sent your son, uh, Jesus. We thank you that you inspired men like John to write these words that we may have an understanding of who he is. Jesus, thank you for creating all things. Thank you for uh, walking so closely with John to know these intimate things about you that he could write them down that we will know you in a more fuller and broader sense. You are God of heaven, God of creation, God of all things, and it's just absolutely mind-blowing. This is the God we serve. Let our vision of you, Jesus, be grow uh, deeper, wider, uh, bigger, bigger, bigger this year. That we may know who we're praying to. The powerful God, Creator God. The God who gave us the Gospel. The God who gave us Your Spirit, Lord. To see the Gospel penetrate the hearts of people here today. God, would You be with this church would people come here this, this morning, Lord, knowing who you are, how much you love them, the greatness of who you are and the greatness of your love. May we also know the greatness of the power of the gospel to change our lives and change the lives of those around us. Jesus, we invite you now to, as we respond to you, to meet with us, to do business in our own heart. May the grace of God flood us all. May we just be freed with, from the grace of God and the mercy of God and the compassion of God as we take communion this morning. Thank you.